We've got to get great at love. If we don't get great at love, it's irrelevant what else we do get great at. Because as Pastor Dave said, it's nothing. Zero. Counts for nothing of kingdom value. Like, I could be the greatest... What's my role? Acting. I could be the greatest acting lead pastor in the history of the world. Could you imagine? I could have the skill and the intellect of a Dave Brotherton, the sense of humor of Andy Stanley, the hair of Joel Osteen, maybe the teeth too. He's got the good teeth. The professionalism of a David Jeremiah, the body of Stephen Furtick, the sunny disposition of a Rick Warren, the, let's see, what else? How about the wardrobe of Louis Giglio? That would be, can you imagine putting all that together? That would be amazing. I don't have any of those characteristics, but imagine if I had them all. But even if I had them all, but pastored without love, it's zero. It's nothing. So I guess our starting point for today is what is love? What is it? Pastor Dave read for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first seven verses. He did make special note of how Paul begins in verse 4 with some of the descriptors of love. And as Pastor Dave was reading that list to us, the thing that stood out most to me was what's not there. The thing that Paul does not say. And the thing that Paul does not say is actually the very thing that our culture says love mostly is, and that is a feeling. Our culture says that love is a feeling, but Paul nowhere, whether 1 Corinthians 13 or in his other writings, describes love as a feeling. He does describe it in terms of a lot of action, a lot of deeds. He does describe it in terms of commitment, but he never talks about it as a feeling, like You know, Paul does not begin in verse 4 and say something like, love is that goosebumpy, tingly, kind of warm feeling uh, where you just kind of fall deeply and, you know, so much so that you actually put your, you know, you walk in the house, you take your car keys, you put them in the refrigerator. You know, Paul does not describe love like that. He doesn't describe it as some surge of euphoria. He doesn't describe it as a feeling at all. But if we're honest, our culture almost exclusively identifies love as a feeling. Some of you may remember a song from the late 70s, uh, Robert Palmer, Doctor, Doctor, Gimme the News, I've Got a Bad Case of Loving You. No pills going to cure my ill, I've got a bad case of loving you. As if love is something that you catch, as if it's something that happens to you. You know, you're walking through life and uh, minding your own business and then bam, all of a sudden you're in love and then bam, all of a sudden you're out of love or bam, all of a sudden somebody loses their love for you as if love happens to you. So many of our uh, popular songs are about this, right? If you listen to the radio, so many country songs, like country songs are the worst. 
I shouldn't say they're the worst. It is, it is one of my favorite genres of music. It's about 17th uh, favorite, uh, right after polka, I think, probably. My wife, however, is a country music fan. That is her number one uh, genre that she loves. She has cowboy boots. She knows how to line dance. Pray for her. <laughs> Pray for me. Enough about country music. There is one song, though, that I think probably more than any other popular song kind of defines love as a feeling, and it was written back in the mid-60s by a, a duo called the Righteous Brothers, who was uh, Bill Medley and uh, somebody else. I can't rem I'm, remember. I didn't look it up, but they wrote this hit song. It's been covered by everybody. I think Elvis covered it, and it's called You Lost That Love and Feeling. Remember that one? You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. And there's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, but baby, baby, I know it. You lost that love and feeling. Oh, that love and feeling. You lost that love and feeling. Sing it. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. See, Bill Medley was uh, like a baritone, so that's, that's very good. And that, you know, really, that's the idea that our culture has. That when the feeling is gone, well, then the love is gone. And when the love is gone, then it's time to trade up. This is part of the reason why divorce is so prevalent in our culture today. You lose that loving feeling. You don't have that buzz. You don't have that euphoria anymore. You've lost that feeling where you walk in the house and you put your keys in the fridge. So what do you do when you've lost that loving feeling? Well, then it's time to move on. And somebody else will give you that buzz and somebody else will give you that, that euphoria. And all of a sudden you're putting your keys back in the fridge again. And people will say, well, I can't help it. That's just the way I am. Love is something that happens to me. Love comes and it goes, and when it goes, I move on to the next thing. But unfortunately, that next thing loses its loving feeling. If you try to live off that loving feeling, it is kind of like trying to live off the feeling of exhilaration that you get when you cliff jump. Before I was 21, the highest thing that I'd ever jumped off of uh, was the second, uh, was, the, was the higher of the two diving boards at the Blue Dolphin Swimming Pool in Meaford. But when I was 21, I went to the grotto with some friends. I mentioned the grotto a few weeks ago. Most of you probably know where that is. You head up number six, almost to Tobamori, beautiful place on the shore of Georgian Bay, cliffs, and the grotto itself is this neat underwater uh, cave through which I have, I, I, have, I have swam that. How many of you have swam that, that little cave? Oh, not many. I probably will never do it again. Uh, it, was, it was kind of terrifying. But um, right near the grotto, there are some really great cliffs. And uh, there may be, right at the grotto, maybe 15 feet high or so. And so my friends and I were, I was 21, and my friends were roughly the same age. We were jumping off the cliff and into the water, and it was fun. It was quite exhilarating. I don't know if you can actually even do that anymore, whether you go to jail if you do that. But back in that day, uh, nobody seemed to care about that. I do remember we wandered maybe half a kilometer from the grotto and found some cliffs that were 70 feet high. 
I can still remember the feeling of standing at the edge of that cliff, my toes kind of curled over the edge, looking down, going, should I, shouldn't I, should I, I'm, I'm, guys, I'm going to do it. And I did. Um, public service announcement. So if you do that, if you jump from 70 feet into the water, number one, point your toes. That's really important. You don't want to hit the water flat-footed because it feels like what you might imagine if Indiana Jones were to snap his whip on the bottom of your feet for like half an hour. That's kind of what that feels like. Public service announcement number two would be for the guys. Keep your legs together. That, I, won't, I won't expand on that, but just jot that down somewhere. Sometime later, I actually looked up the math on, on this jump. And um, when you jump from 70 feet, it takes about two and a half seconds to get to the bottom, in this case, to the water. And by the time you hit the water, you're traveling at about 40 miles an hour or 60 kilometers an hour. And that two and a half seconds of free falling is absolutely exhilarating. Even the couple of seconds right before, as you just know you're going to do it, that is super exhilarating. That is actually a, a really wonderful feeling. Relationally speaking, that euphoria that we feel when we're in love is essentially nature's way of getting you to say, I do. That's basically what that is. But if you think that you can live in love like that, then you're trying to live in a world that doesn't exist. That's a surreal world or a twilight zone you're trying to live in. It's not going to happen. You can live off that euphoric infatuation for maybe weeks, maybe some months if you're really extraordinary. But after that, if that's your definition of love, you are going to try to be living in a twilight zone. But that is, in fact, the definition of love that you would perceive from our culture. Our culture, our 21st century North American culture, places an incredible priority and authority on feelings. I can't think, actually, of another culture that has placed such authority on feelings as does our culture. I think other cultures have, have just kind of known better than to do that. Because here's the thing, your feelings are not reliable guides. Your feelings are not a reliable guide to truth. Your feelings are not reliable guides to reality. Your feelings are not reliable guides to anything. But our culture does define love as a feeling. And to a large extent, our culture defines truth by feeling. I think that's part of our post-Christian culture. And, and we hear things like, well, I don't like what you're saying. Uh, I don't feel like that's true. So therefore, it's not true. And we hear things like, well, that's, that's your truth, but I'm going to tell my truth I don't like what you're saying. I feel, I feel um, like that's not true. As if our feelings have anything to do with truth. As if reality exists to somehow conform to our feelings. Like it would be weird, wouldn't it, if you went to the doctor and she said to you, um, please sit down, I've got some difficult news for you. And 
All of the, like the major arteries going into your heart are all like 99.9% blocked. You are a ticking time bomb. You're a heart attack waiting to happen. It's imminent. You can't even go home. We need to get you directly to the operating room, literally to save your life. It would be weird, wouldn't it, if you said, well, you know, doctor, I really don't like what you're saying. I really don't feel like what you're saying is true. So, therefore, it's not true. Like, how weird would that be? As if, as if somehow reality exists to conform to our feelings. But there is this weird thing in our culture that somehow your feelings are a guide to truth. Christians are not immune from this. There are Christians who will sometimes question whether God loves them because they don't feel it. I don't feel God's love. I don't feel God's presence. And therefore, since feelings are a guide to reality, therefore God must not love me, and therefore God must not be present with me. And so we draw faulty conclusions based on our feelings. It's really a, it's an awful trap, really is what it is. So what I want to do just for the next couple of minutes is to kind of uh, de-romanticize feelings. And let me just say this, feelings are a chemical reaction in the brain. How's that for de-romanticizing? Feelings are a chemical reaction in the brain. When we think thoughts, we see pictures and we hear words. That's kind of how our minds operate. We think in pictures and we think in words. We don't think in information. We don't think in data. Like, for instance, if I asked you to describe to me the front door of your childhood home, none of you are going to see an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper in your mind with data points on it. Blue aluminum opens from the right, opens in, whatever. You're, you're not going to do that. What you're doing probably right now is seeing a picture. And that picture will be associated with some words, maybe words like home, peace, love, safety. Maybe words like danger, maybe words like sadness, fear. But that is how we think. We think in pictures and we think in words, not in information. And our brains are neurologically wired to respond to that. And that's what feelings are. Feelings are responses to what is going on in our head. Feelings are not responses to what is going on outside of our head. Let me say that again. Feelings are responses to what is going on inside of our head. Feelings are not responses to what is going on outside of our head. You know what? I think if we can grab that, if you get nothing else out of this morning's talk, get that. Because there's freedom in that. All of our emotions are chemical reactions. Feelings are responses to what is going on in our head. So, if you don't feel like God loves you, Christian, if you don't feel like God is present with you, that tells me a lot about what's going on in your head. But it tells me nothing about what's going on in reality. Because I'm here to tell you God does love you. Christian, I'm here to tell you that God is present with you. The issue is what's going on between your ears. And I know this, that when you think about God, if I were to see the picture that you see, 
And if I were to hear the words that you hear when you think about God, I would have the same feelings that you do. That I don't measure up. That God is somehow not present with me. That God really doesn't love me. The solution, though, is not to somehow try and have better feelings. The solution is to change what's going on in your brain. There was one uh, man who really understood this well, aside from Jesus, of course, and that's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul really understood this, and in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says these words, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Other translations say don't uh, conform to the patterns of this world. Don't conform, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So don't copy. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world anymore. Don't be conformed anymore to the pattern of the lies of this world. Don't be conformed anymore to the pattern of the lies that you've been told, the lies that you've experienced. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world uh, as what you've seen on YouTube or social media, the things you read on your news feed. Don't be conformed anymore to the things you hear on the radio or watch on TV or the lyrics that you hear in country music songs. Don't be conformed to that any longer. Don't let that be what's going on in your head. Instead, Paul says, be transformed. Don't be conformed to that. Be transformed by changing the way that you think. Fill your head with God's good stuff Tell yourself, remind yourself, make new over and over and over again every single day the truth of who God is in Christ and the truth of who you are in Christ. Let that run on a loop in your brain. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 that we are to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Think of your brain like your body's computer, like, like your organic computer. So God is the designer, but in God's design, you are the programmer. You're responsible for the programming. The problem is, though, that the vast majority of us, for the vast majority of us, the vast majority of what has been programmed into our brains, we didn't do. It came from what dad said. It came from what mom did. It came from that jerk ex-boyfriend or jerk ex-girlfriend. It came from Facebook. It came from my husband. It came from my wife. It came from the car accident. It came from the songs, from the movies, from the magazines. It came from the divorce. It came from the abuse. It came from the betrayal. It came from the patterns of this world, Paul would say. And as long as that is what is going on in your brain, you are going to feel according to it. This really is a trap that the enemy loves to keep us stuck in. And so Paul says there's a pattern of the world. And the pattern of this world is, is simply the way that you've been programmed to think based on TV and songs and family of origin and upbringing, etc., you name it. And the patterns of this world form our thoughts. And our thoughts are then represented to us in picture. 
and words that we hear, and our brains are neurologically wired to respond to that. That's what feelings are. And maybe they create feelings of fear. Maybe they create feelings of anxiety, of despair, of hopelessness. And the trap is this, you know, if you are here this morning and you don't feel like God loves you, if you're here this morning and you don't feel like Jesus is present with you, but then I come along and say, oh, no, 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 God does love you, and Jesus is present with you. In Jesus, you're complete. In Jesus, you are God's masterpiece. In Jesus, you are completely forgiven, completely cleansed, completely made new. He loves you. He's for you. He's with you. He's pleased with you. He's smiling on you. I say that to you, but to you, that doesn't feel true. You're thinking, well, that can't be true because I don't feel it. And you don't feel it because your feelings are not a response to what is real. Your feelings are a response to how you think about what is real. And so your feelings end up confirming your thoughts. And you've thought like that for a long time. And you've felt like that for a long time. In fact, it's been so long that it just feels true. You're just kind of used to it. And if you're using your feelings as a guide to what is true, you're going to be stuck in that loop forever. There will be no way out for you. Because it's just this diabolical loop. Your thoughts produce the feelings which further confirm the thoughts which produce more feelings and it just goes on and on and on. There is a way out. There is freedom. And it starts with this, understanding that your feelings are not a guide to truth. Just let that press in today. Your feelings are not a guide to truth. God's design for the follower of Jesus Christ is that his word tells us what is true, whether we feel it or not. The word of God should tell us what is true. The the word of God should create the pictures that we see. The word of God should create the words that we hear. Because, you know, here's the thing. Unless, Unless you can see yourself as a much loved son or daughter of God, unless you can see yourself climbing into the lap of the Father and hearing his words of affirmation and experiencing his lavish love, unless you can see that, you're never going to feel like a much-loved son or daughter of God. In fact, Because that doesn't feel true to you, you will push away the truth that, in fact, you are a much-loved son or daughter of God. And when you push away that truth, your life will never come under the authority of the Word of God. And as long as your life does not come under the authority of God, you will never, ever walk in the reality of the fullness of your true identity in Jesus. So I'm not saying to ignore the feelings. That would be bad advice. But let me say this, put them, put them in brackets and know what is true. What God says about you has more credibility than your feelings. 
Because your feelings are the result of what dad said or what mom did or whatever. Don't give that credibility. Give the word of God credibility. Let the word of God create the pictures that you see and the words that you hear when you think. Let the word of God kind of be the virtual reality movie that just runs in your brain. Spend time in God's word. Spend time in the truth. But not just for the sake of information. We don't want to merely settle for information because information in and of itself is not transformational. We want transformation. That happens as we change the way that we think. So as you read the scripture, commune with God. Commune with God and see and hear what he is saying to you. And as you do that, more and more and more, appropriate feelings will come. They'll come. And there will be times that you feel loved by God. There will be days when your feelings will be appropriate. And there will be days when they're not. There will be days that you just feel loved and days that you don't. Because quite frankly, we're complex creatures. Our feelings are fickle. Our feelings are chemical reactions. Some days the feelings will be there and some days they won't. Some people have um, chemical imbalances in their brain. Probably 15% of you sitting in this room this morning have a diagnosable uh, brain chemistry imbalance. They can be really helped with medication. And if you're on medication for a brain chemistry imbalance, I want you to know there's zero shame in that. Absolutely none. It's really no different than taking insulin if you're diabetic. But the trouble is the vast majority of that 15% goes undiagnosed and therefore untreated and they just struggle. There will be people for whom the feelings may come, but not all the time. We need to get our thinking lined up with the Word of God. Not in order to change our feelings. Don't worry about feelings. Don't chase after feelings. They'll come, maybe, but even if they don't, what matters is that our thinking is lined up with the truth of the Word of God. As long as we give our feelings credibility, as long as we give them that much credibility, as long as we consider our feelings as a guide to truth, we will never, ever be able to live in love as God calls us to. If you're giving authority to your feelings, you'll never walk in love because you'll assume that love is a feeling and you cannot live in a feeling. Paul says these words in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. <laughs> wow. Imitate God, Paul says. How do you imitate God? The God whose DNA is love. How do you imitate a God who is incredible? 
Well, the God who is incredible became credible. Look at verse 2. Live a life filled with love. When you live a life filled with love, you are imitating God because love is God's DNA. But how do we do that? How, what does that look like? Well, here it is. Follow the credible example of Christ. So Paul says, live a life filled with love. As long as you live, love. Live in love. There's no off button. There's no snooze button. As long as you live, love. Love is to absolutely characterize every single aspect of our lives. We're to eat love, sleep love, drink love, breathe love, live in love, as long as you live love. But there's no way that you can live in love if you think that love is a feeling. If you think that love is somehow feeling this warm, tingly, affection, kind of euphoric feeling about everybody, I'm here to tell you it's not going to happen. I don't know about you, but I've been around here, what, three, three weeks and a bit now. I've had time to walk down the sidewalk, down to the beach, and there's lots of people around, and I don't know who they are. And I see them, and I, I quite frankly, don't have these warm, tingly, affectionate, euphoric feelings about everybody that I, that I see. When I see a bunch of strangers, I just kind of feel, I don't know, neutral, flat, Unless I see somebody doing something stupid or irritating, and then I'm like feeling dislike toward them. Love is not feeling a euphoric, tingly uh, affection for everybody that you come across. You, you, can't, you can't do that. Feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are responses to what is going on in our brain. They are chemical reactions. You can't live in love if you think that love is a feeling. If you don't believe that, let me give you the clearest test case. So Jesus says three words to us. He says a lot more than three words, but I'm thinking of three words in particular. And these three words that Jesus said are absolutely radical. They are absolutely the radical edge of discipleship. These three words are absolutely the distinctive characteristic by which the church of Jesus is to be known. These three words to our culture are ridiculous, foolish, nonsensical. And they will be to us as well unless our thinking is lined up with the truth of the word of God. These three words are found in Matthew chapter 5 verse 44. Jesus says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. He goes on to say, do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those who hate you. You will never, ever, ever be able to love your enemies if you think that love is a feeling. An enemy is an enemy precisely because you don't feel good about them. How could you feel good about somebody who is harming you? How do you feel good about somebody who hates you and wishes ill for you? We don't feel good about that, nor should we feel good about that. Love is not a feeling. You don't feel good about that stuff, but that does not mean we do not love. We're out of time. Um, 
We'll leave it here, and here's what we're, where we'll pick back up next week. So next week, we'll start, with, we'll start with a little bit of review of something that we talked about like almost two years ago. None of you will remember anything about that, but about two years ago, uh, we were here filling in for Pastor Dave, and one of the things we talked about in that uh, morning together was the fact that we, we have this one-word love that we use for, like, everything. I love pizza. I love Jake Murray, whose birthday it is today. I love, uh, I love the Toronto Maple Leafs, even though they continually disappoint me. I love my 2010 Ford Focus. But I don't love my Ford Focus the way I love my wife. And I don't love my wife the way I love Jake Murray. And I don't love Jake Murray the way I love pizza. But we've got this one word love that we use for all of that. And I'm telling you, it gets us in a mess. The Greeks were so much smarter than we are. They had four words for love. And if we grab those four words, it is incredibly clarifying. In fact, I would say it is mind-blowing. Come back next week prepared to have your mind blown. I may be overselling that slightly. Uh, I was in the car business for a long time. But I sold Fords. They basically just sell themselves. Right, Dave Hamill? Anyway, um, that's where we'll start uh, next week. What I'd like to do right now is pray. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to have our prayer team come. Then I'm going to have a little benediction uh, after that. But let's pray right now. God, you are good. I can't think of the number of times I've heard Dave Brotherton begin a prayer that way. God, you are good. You are love. Your DNA is love. I think of the scripture that says God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You died for us, demonstrated love while we were your enemies running the other way. Jesus, you said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you laid down your life for us at Calvary. And you invite us into an intimate friendship with you as our Savior, as our Lord. And now you're calling us to imitate God, which seems incredible. But thank you, Jesus, that you, you wrap that love up in flesh and blood so we could see it. I think of John who says, that which we have seen, that which we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears, that which we have touched. Jesus, thank you. You give us a, a new command to love one another. And you don't say, love one another because I say so. You don't say, love one another because I'm Lord. You say, love one another as I have loved you. Again, there's your example. God, I pray for anybody here this morning 
who does not know you, Jesus, in a personal way. That's where this whole thing of living in love begins by receiving your love in the person of Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord. Jesus, thank you, you went to the cross. You bore our sin, you bore our shame, you bore our mistakes, you bore our guilt, you, you bore it all. And we can say yes to you and receive you and experience your forgiveness, your love, your freedom. God, I pray that this would be a decision day for anybody who's not yet said yes to you. Thank you, God, for your love. Because you love us, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Just remain standing. I want to invite any, anybody who would like to pray. We've got our prayer team here. The Bevins would love to pray with you. If you've got a big need, they'd love to pray for you. If you've got a little need, they would love to pray for you. If you would like to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, come, they would love to tell you about that. Saying yes to Jesus is kind of like saying yes to your wife, right? It's like saying, I do. It's, it's certainly not the ending point. It's just the beginning of a whole new life. If you want to know more about saying yes to Jesus, you come. But I want to read, I'm going to to reread these verses that we've already looked at. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And let this be our benediction, all right? Let, Let this settle in and sink in as we leave this place today. Imitate God. That sounds like an impossible aspiration. Imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love. Today, live a life filled with love. Tomorrow, live a life filled with love. This week, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Jesus. God is just so incredible, but made credible in Jesus. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. All right. God bless you. Have an awesome week. Live in love, friends.